I really do believe that we are in the age of a great awakening for government at the federal and state level of topics that are important to the everyday worker, topics that are important to the workforce. Are you a business leader looking for strategies and tactics to help you navigate leadership and HR challenges as you scale? Each week on While We Were Working, we bring you our 35 plus years of experience doing exactly this for companies just like yours. For more game-changing HR and leadership insights and to connect with us, check us out at whilewewereworking.com. Hey, thanks for tuning into episode 12 of While We Were Working. If you're tuning in on live stream, go ahead, let us know where you're from, where you're tuning in from, drop it in on the chat. As always, I am Joey Price, founder of Jumpstart HR, and I'm joined by our awesome co-host, Summer Keytron. Would you say hello? Hi, Joey. Hey, everybody out there. Thanks for joining us today. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. Thank you for being a part, as always, Summer. And this episode is going to be fun. This is week two in February, and we're going to be talking about small steps that you can take to improve small business, D-E-I-A. And we're going to be talking about a fun topic, are job applications dead? So there's a lot of questions about what constitutes a job application. Are they still relevant in such a point and import era. But without further ado, let's go ahead and jump into your high-low Buffalo of the week. Sure thing. So for those of you that are just joining, high-low Buffalo is a fun exercise that we do internally here at Jumpstart, which is sharing the high of our week, uh, something that was the low, and then the Buffalo is really anything, whatever you feel like sharing. So for me, uh, the high was that our team absolutely crushed it last week for our government proposal. Really excited. Looking forward to the results of that. And for the low, there's no lows. I mean, coming off of that, uh, there's just a lot of energy going around. And that takes me into my buffalo, which is part opinion and part question. So for those of you that know me or followed some episodes, you know, I'm a huge coffee fanatic. And earlier this, or I should say last year, earlier in the year, I discovered Dutch Bros coffee. So we don't have any actual stores out here near where I live in California, but you know, that other company that has a mermaid in their logo, well, they're not getting as much of my business anymore. So the question that I have for you, Joey, is what's your go-to brand of coffee and why? Well, these days, my go-to brand is actually Nespresso. I make it from home. It's easier. I can just make what I like, put the creamer that I want, put the sweetener that I want, and I just make it to taste. So these days, it's Nespresso. Actually, also, at the top of the year, I mentioned in a couple episodes that I was doing a fast. And part of that was cutting out fast food, gas station snacks, pit stops where I'd pay at the coffee shop. And so after 21 days of that, it's kind of just like, well, in Nespresso, we're just riding it out. So <laughs> my favorite is uh, is home homemade coffee, mm-hmm. but it's always like a vanilla, the vanilla custard, if anybody knows the, the Nespresso brand. Oh, man, that sounds amazing. Amazing. Well, I appreciate you sharing. What's your high-low buffalo? 
Um, I'm right with you. My high was just the team uh, stepping up and making us proud when we did our presentation. We set a goal of submitting at least one state and federal proposal per month. It's new business for us, but it's doing the same things that we're doing mm -hmm. on the private sector. And I think the benefit of bringing private sector to government is you get innovation, you get energy, you get a fresh approach to the way things are done. Mm -hmm. And I just couldn't be more thrilled in the way the team studied, prepared, showed up, and uh, we'll get the results soon. So super excited about that. A low is that, you know, we're coming into the Super Bowl happening on uh, actually my birthday, February 13th. And unfortunately, my team isn't going to be there. So some of you may know that I'm a Tampa Bay fan and I've been a fan before Brady, but he brought new life to the team. Really thought we had a shot. So I'm kind of mourning the fact that he's retiring and that we're not in the Super Bowl. It really came down to that last second play in a couple of weeks ago. But who knows? I don't think I'll be watching the Super Bowl. I don't really have a, a dog in the fight, so to speak. But maybe the commercials will change my mind. So that's my, <laughs> that's my low. And then I guess my Buffalo for this week is I want to shout out a, uh, a fellow person in the small business. Well, not just small business, but, but people leadership space. Minda Hartz, she's crushing it. She has a couple books out. The Memo right within. So if you're not familiar with her work, go ahead and check her out. She's got a lot of authorship and thought leadership on ways that we can make more inclusive workplaces. So check her out when you get a chance. Let's jump into while we were working. And while we were working is the heart of our show. This is where we cover articles or topics that are uh, top of mind that you may have missed while you were working. Or uh, while you were playing Wordle, is that still a thing? Are people still playing Wordle? While you were playing Wordle or while you were working. And this week we have an article from Federal News Network. Again, government's top of mind for us. We've, we've got some, some fun things in the works. And this article says there are three trends driving adoption of data analytics to strengthen federal HR. Um, this was published January 28th. So, Summer, go ahead and talk about some of the themes that you saw in this and make it practical for the small business listener. Absolutely. I think that when sometimes when we come across news like this and we see that it's the Federal News Network or, you know, trends in federal HR, you know, sometimes it's easy to just scroll past it because it's like, well, that doesn't apply to me. And, you know, whatever they're doing isn't really that important. And I actually have to disagree. I think that we really need to be paying attention to what's happening in the federal space, because, you know, if the government's doing it and they are, you know, typically the last to adopt or slower to adopt things that are, you know, kind of on the cutting edge or, you know, kind of driving things forward, like kind of leading the trends, if they're doing it, I think we definitely need to be paying attention. And in this article, kind of the key takeaway for me was that one, the adoption of data and just analytics in the HR space being a priority was like, ding, ding, ding. Okay, everybody, if you aren't currently collecting data and using it as part of your HR strategy, if you haven't started, now's the time. But where the government is really doing uh, some wonderful things is that they've actually mandated that the chief data officers and the chief evaluation officers at every single agency implement what they're calling a data-driven approach to DEIA. And 
to me, that is really, really a wonderful position for the government to be taking. And I think this should absolutely have the eyes of everybody to look at their organization, their strategy, and ask, what do we need to do to take a similar approach? Because that's how we're going to help drive some of the change. Yeah, yeah. I have a, a love and attention relationship with government um, <laughs> because it's such a reaches into everything that we do, which is not a bad thing at all. But I have stories of going into state agencies and seeing processes happening that I'm like, we stopped doing this, you know, 10 years ago <laughs> uh, or 20 years ago. I'll never forget when I went to register my company in Maryland and someone was working on microfilm. And I was like, oh I, I've never seen that in person. But to your point, Summer, about like if government's paying attention to it, it's a big deal. I really do believe that we are in the age of a great awakening for government at the federal and state level of topics that are important to the everyday worker, topics that are important to the workforce in general. And really, it's starting to modernize and turn the corner of not just being known as like the bureaucratic place where it takes forever to get things done, but understanding that individuals work for organizations, they work for companies, they work for government agencies, and they, they all want the same thing, you know, a great place to work, great place to grow, a great place that they can feel proud of the technology and the processes. Mm -hmm. And so it is great that this is happening. And it is great that there's such a, a data-driven charge around DEIA. Mm -hmm. um, and what that means, you know, for the small business owner is like, if government can do it, so can you. Mm -hmm. And it actually makes it easier. It's easier for you because the scale is is smaller. But you can set data-driven goal metrics around our, of our candidates. How many of them were diverse? Of our hires, how many of them were diverse? Mm -hmm. Of our retention, what does our retention look like for our mm -hmm. diverse team members? And it allows you to think strategically around how you're meeting the mark or not. It's something we can help you with, but not to plug right away. But uh, that's what stood out to me is if government is leading the way in DEIA data perspective, I think it's important for us to figure that out too. Mm -hmm. I agree. And I'm, I'm really excited that this is in the news. I hope that we see more of it and we start to see more companies find ways to adopt these strategies. And, you know, I think sometimes when we think about data and analytics, you know, we think, gosh, you know, we, you know, we have to be experts in everything right away in order for it to work. And, and the reality is, is that you can actually start small and scale. And that's what most companies do. And that you know, working with us to get these programs going is, you know, a wonderful first start. But also as companies grow, there are a whole host of software and other companies that can, you know, that can layer in and help support so that it's not such a heavy lift and that it can, you know, be scalable and sustained through company, you know, companies year over year. Yeah. All right. Any other um, topics you want to mention? Anything you want to tease out there for our audience before we jump into the next segment? Well, I think we covered, uh, covered quite a bit in terms of that article, but uh, for those of you that are joining us live on LinkedIn, let us know what you think about this and what are some, you know, some ideas that you have on how you might be able to integrate some of this in your current business operations? Hit us up. We'd love to get your feedback. Definitely. Definitely. So let's jump into Consultant's Corner. And this is always our no holds barred 
kind of real talk from the trenches conversation about things that we're seeing at work, things we're seeing with our customers, and then also questions from our audience. So if you have a question that you want us to tackle on Consultants Corner, go ahead and shoot us an email at hello at jumpstart-hr.com. Mm-hmm. where my assistant Dana will be able to respond to your message and get it up in our show notes so we can tackle it. This one is a, a user-generated question, but it's something that we're seeing because we've picked up quite a bit of recruiting work from December into January. A lot of companies are trying to start fresh and project their growth for the year. And so it begs the question, why should I use an employment application as an employer and shouldn't a resume or submission through a job board be enough? Mm-hmm. Uh, so, Summer, where do we start? Where do we start in this topic? There's so much to unpack. Oh, my. Well, I would start by saying that if you are a small business and you are asking, well, yeah, why? Like, why shouldn't I use just a submission through a job board or a resume? Definitely listen up because we have a lot to add on this topic. Certainly, you know, just kind of some of the the highlights are that there is a very big difference between somebody just giving you their resume or applying through a major job board and an application. So of course, one of the main reasons that you would want to use an application is that you're going to collect consistent information for every single individual. So that's number one. And when you think about being able to make comparisons between candidates, you can do that easier because you have the same information in the same place for every single individual. But here's a big one. The big one is what I call an attestation. And, you know, that is that little statement at the bottom where they sign it that says something to the effect of all of the information that's been provided is accurate and truthful. And then there's usually a statement that says, you know, if it's found that, you know, I have falsified this application, I may be terminated as a result. So something along those lines. So it's pretty much saying if there's something on here and you're misrepresenting yourself and you're hired as a result, then you may lose your job if we find out. So that's really important because where is that on a resume and where is that on your job board? It's not saying you couldn't do it if that's what you found out. It's just this is going to make it a little bit easier. And then kind of the the last one that I wanted to point out, because there's so much, and I do have a fun story to share at the end if there's time, is that when you have an application process, most companies ask for voluntary self-identification. So for those of you that are subject to um, EEO reporting, you're probably familiar that these are the questions that ask about vet status. Um, They ask about disability, about accommodations, those types of questions you're likely familiar with. Those aren't part of, you know, when somebody submits a resume or if they're applying to a job board. So those are just kind of my quick thoughts on like the difference between the employment application resumes and the job board. But what are your thoughts on that, Joey? Yeah, I think that technology has come a long way because I remember the pain point of having to complete paper application, the pain point of, hey, why do I have to upload my resume and then create a job application? I remember these these pain points and, right. and technology has made it a lot easier for folks to apply to jobs, get jobs, go on and live live happy lives. But the value is that we can't overlook 
the job application, as you said, as a basis of equity mm-hmm. in the process, making sure that everybody's asked the same question. It also, I look at it as a way to confirm up-to-date information. So for example, mm-hmm. someone may upload a resume or they may you know, one-click their LinkedIn information, but a phone number may have changed or an email address may have changed. And so you're trying to reach out to a candidate whose contact information has changed. Mm-hmm. And so a job application allows you to say, hey, as of today, what is your best contact information? How can right. we reach you? We had a customer one time who was subject to an EEO1 report which is something that uh, federal contractors have to pay attention to with regard to equality in a lot of their um, employment practices. And uh, the challenge that they ran up against is that they didn't have a job application, so they couldn't track candidate data. So it's one thing to be prepared and have this data and just need to sort it out. Mm -hmm. It's another to not have the data and you need it and you can't just go back and ask the 800 candidates who applied for jobs with you last year. Mm-hmm. Hey, could you self-identify your race, ethnicity, gender, and, and veteran status? You know, so it's all about making sure you are A, equitable, but also making sure that you have the data you need in the event mm-hmm. that you're subject to to that information. Mm-hmm. Um, and I forgot to mention, we covered cover letters too in, uh, in episode mm-hmm. four, if anyone is interested in checking out our conversation about whether cover letters are dead or not. Um, mm-hmm. So those are my thoughts. Really great thoughts, Joey. And, and a few things that I wanted to add to that is uh, we talked a little bit about the EEO and those voluntary self-identifications. And one of the conversations that I have pretty frequently uh, with clients is, well, that doesn't apply to me, so I'm not going to ask those questions. And I, I really wanted to kind of challenge that thinking because While it may be true that you aren't required to collect that information, why wouldn't you want to collect that information for the purposes of ensuring that your hiring practices are non-discriminatory and that you don't have pieces of your process that are preventing you from reaching your diversity goals? Because if you have the data, then you can start to analyze it as we discussed in the first part of the show. And I think that you can start to pick apart whether you know there are steps in your process and things that you can do to yield better results. And for me, that's a reason alone to collect the data and do something meaningful with it. And um, if you are a small business and you're wondering, well, how do I navigate this to make sure that you know the data is being used in a way that is you know legal, uh, that's going to, yield desired results. That's what we're here for. And we'd love to have those conversations to see what that will look like in your organization. Definitely. Definitely. So um, let's take the conversation a little bit further and talk about, you know, if we talk about the candidate journey, when do you think is the ideal time to insert that job application? Is it, you know, on the job descriptions landing page? Mm -hmm. Is it after you've vetted a few candidates and you want to get to the final interview rounds? Is that when mm-hmm. you throw out the application? Because I've really found that companies just put it wherever, right? Okay. So the person that, and I've, I've been hired in places years ago before starting Jumpstart, um, hired in places where I didn't get the application until it was my first day at work. <laughs> and so I'm the only one that completed the application. 
Mm -hmm. So when do you think is the best place to insert that application in a job search process? Well, that is, I think, a much debated topic. And I actually read quite a few articles about how even, you know, the current ATS and application processes, even as simplified and automated as they have become, are still yet, you know, creating a barrier for many applicants, just, you know, being frustrated and, and abandoning them. So I think that's a highly debated topic. But in my opinion, I think that it should be at the point that a candidate is initially applying for the job. Because when I think about using some of the voluntary data to evaluate diversity in hiring, you need to understand from the very beginning, what type of candidates are you attracting? So if you're not asking these questions now at this first stage, then you're missing out on an entire slice, an entire view of the equation. So I yep. think for that reason, it should be at the very earliest stage possible. I'd agree. I'd agree. You mm -hmm. want to make sure that capturing that data on the front end mm -hmm. and, you know, maybe you, you pare it down and get to the essentials of what you need to collect and leave out the things that aren't really of importance. But you do need to have an application that is standardized and collects the key data that's going to help you make decisions and help you respond to any uh, reporting that you have to do later on down the road. Agreed. Now, I'm so curious. Joey, do you have any really interesting or frightening stories, shall I say, about a time when an application uncovered something that was alarming or was concerning <laughs> or you're like, my goodness, I'm so glad they filled out an application because... Yep. So I've got one, but I'm curious to hear if you do as well. Yeah, I got. I have one. I'm not going to say which employer this was at, but this was when I was working as a professional. And the candidate was fresh out of graduate school, and their email address that they put on their application was something like always stay blaze 487 or, or like always stay blaze 420. <laughs> so at that time, you know, marijuana was a... It was looked at differently then than it is now. And it was just interesting that someone would put that email address as opposed to a professional one on their application to work in a professional setting. So that's that was a fun one. The email address, you know, it was a non-starter, but that person could have used some coaching on mm -hmm. how to put their professional email on their application. Mm -hmm. What about you? Oh, man, that's a great example. I can't tell you how many times I've seen similar on resumes. And I, I agree, it's kind of a non-starter. It's like, well, if you aren't able to make a sound enough decision to create a professional email for purposes of getting a job, then what is that telling me about your decision making? Probably not the best, but I have so many stories. But I wanted to really point out an example of something I've encountered many times over the course of recruiting, interviewing candidates and using their resume, and then verifying the information against their application. So one of the things, unfortunately, that I've seen on many, many resumes, unfortunately, is ambiguity in regards to graduating with a diploma. So sometimes I will see things that will show the name of the school, the program, and maybe there will be years or maybe it will just be the name of the school and the program, just kind of combinations that when you would look at it, the reader would assume that if it's on the resume that they completed the program. Am I right? Yep. 
But the application typically asks not only that information, name of school, but it will also ask specifically, did you graduate? And I can't tell you how many times on the resume it will appear as though they completed the program, but on the application, it's clear that they didn't. So kind of my takeaway is please make sure that if that isn't on your application, that it is, but also during your screening and interview processes, that you are specifically asking that question um, yeah. because it is an area that unfortunately, I think there are too many people still trying to fly it under the radar. Yeah. Yeah. And to be honest, the way that we look at work and workers has evolved so much now that to not have a degree isn't a hindrance in the way that it may have been before. I mean, there are laws in place that have always been in place that said it should be education and slash or years of experience. But mm -hmm. we know the, the stigma that comes with, oh, they didn't have a bachelor's, they didn't have a master's, whatever the mm -hmm. case may be. But now that it's not that much of a of the case. I mean, we have individuals who are learning to code on their own and going on to get tech jobs. We have professionals who are getting certifications mm -hmm. and, you know, taking a lot of great knowledge worker positions. So you don't have to hide yourself anymore for the most part. I think you don't mm -hmm. you don't have to hide your, yourself and your stats. You'll be welcome as long as you can prove that you can do the job. So mm -hmm. Yeah, I've seen that. It's been confusing. You got to hop on the phone and call and just verify everything. Very much a time-consuming thing, but um, yeah. All right, we have hit the end of this show, episode 12. Again, go back and check some of the other episodes out. We talk a lot about topics that are important for small businesses. So you may have missed these things while you were working, but that's what we're here for. So we'll see you next week. Summer, thanks for another great show. And for you out there, if you liked it, hit that follow button, subscribe, give us a review, share it with your colleagues. We'd love to hear how you're enjoying the show. So see you next week. Bye. Thank you, everyone. Thank you for tuning into this week's episode. Got more questions? Then make sure you check out whilewewereworking.com for more tips and resources. Or shoot us a message on social media. See you next week.